Blog Talk Radio. Uh, Brian, we're going live. Okay. Uh, can the congressman hear me? Yeah, he can hear you. Okay, we're you going live. So. All right. Black Politics Today. An eye for what's at stake in global politics and your source for the social, economic, and political impact of public policy on the African-American community. Your host, Kelly Michael Williams, is a political strategy veteran with an undefeated campaign record and the political experience that spanned nearly three decades, from Mayor Willie Brown in California to President Barack Obama in our nation's capital. So get ready for a fresh and honest approach on the politics that affect you and your family the most. Now, your host, Kelly Michael Williams. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Kelly Michael Williams. I want to thank you for joining us tonight. Of course, as we always do, I always pause and thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, just for allowing me to host this broadcast and to have this show, because certainly I recognize and understand that, hey, with everything that's going on in America now, there is no real, um, there's no guarantees. There's no guarantees of what's, what's going to happen, what we're going to be able to do. So I'm excited. I'm ecstatic about just being able to host the broadcast and to have the guests that I'm continuously able to achieve. Um, to receive each and every week uh, on our broadcast. Um, today is the first day of Black History Month. And on this day in Black History in 1865, the 13th Amendment was ratified and uh, by the 30th Congress. And on February 2nd, tomorrow, uh, the District of Columbia actually abolished was to do that to even the um, uh, adoption of the 13th Amendment. And in 2021, we're still dealing, dealing with that, you know, type of some impact from slavery, uh, in my opinion, it's just a different kind. And tonight, I am pleased to have uh, a voting rights advocate, a voting rights uh, 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 pioneer uh, hailing from uh, uh, the state of Missouri, he was the first uh, black mayor of Kansas City. Uh, he's a former pastor. Uh, he is a cousin to the famed Black Panther, Eldridge Cleaver. And he is the newly appointed chair of the uh, Financial Services Committee, the Subcommittee on Housing, Community Development, Insurance. And that is none other than my guest, uh, Representative Congressman Elijah, um, Elijah, I'm about to say Elijah Cumming, uh, Emmanuel Cleaver. Uh, and I, I was about to say Elijah Cummings because Emmanuel, Representative Cleaver went to Prairie View A&M uh, there in Texas. And uh, Elijah Cummings' wife is also a graduate from Prairie View A&M. And uh, that was stuck in my head, and it was there for uh, all time. So I want to welcome you to the show, Congressman. Uh, forgive me for calling you Representative Elijah to start out <laughs> with. But those wife actually... Uh, was born in in, in the in Wichita Falls, Texas. Maya was born in Wichita Falls, Texas, which is 
uh, my hometown. Okay. I lived in high school and played. And, and so she, uh, I, I know the whole thing. Calling me Elijah Cummings is a compliment. <laughs> All by the way, you know, he, he, walked, he, I, I, he and I, I, our relationship could have been a great, much, much better uh, if he hadn't tried to become a preacher. He was a bootleg preacher. <laughs> Uh, I call him the bootleg preacher from Baltimore. Yes, he was. Uh, now, I don't know if he's bootleg, but he was certainly trying to be a preacher. He was certainly a preacher. <laughs> I, 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 I talked about that at his funeral. Okay. And he is, because uh, the family all, all knew that that was the case, and he and I were very, very good friends. And uh, anytime somebody can liken me to Elijah Cummings, I'm happy. Well, Maya is a good friend of mine, and she's been on the broadcast a number of times, and I'm excited. I was working with her when she was the chair of the Maryland Democratic Party before she started running, and of course, she's been on our broadcast a number of times. So uh, certainly, I, I appreciate you allowing me to have that uh, that slip, and uh, certainly, uh, Elijah, uh, Congressman Cummings was a, a pioneer, as yourself. Yeah. Um, and, so, and, and the reason I really wanted to have you today uh, was because as I was looking and reading and, and looking into the different things that are just going on right now, especially after the insurrection, I always try to focus the, the broadcast on what's at stake for us as African-Americans and the impact. And seeing the comment that you made where you said some members of Congress always desire to be the Speaker of the House but you've had this desire to be the chairman of the subcommittee on housing, economic development, and insurance. Why is that? What, what is it about that committee that is so impactful for you and made you desire to be that chair and now you are chair? Well, if I had, if I had uh, thought about it, I would have brought, up, brought in here the photograph um, of, of the house I, I uh, was born in, uh, in, in Texas, uh, I, I, I didn't live in a house with uh, indoor plumbing uh, or electricity until I was seven and my family and I moved in, into uh, public housing. Uh, I was born 26 minutes from the Omni Hotel in downtown Dallas. I, I reason I know that because recently I was there to speak at, at an event and I, I timed it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I went from a, a shack, and when I say shack, I don't mean a rundown house. I mean a shack. And um, I, 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 my family, my mother, father, three sisters, and I lived in a three-bedroom uh, housing project for five or six years. Uh, and, and my father worked essentially three jobs. My mother started college uh, when I was in junior high school. My father worked three uh, jobs, saved his money, uh, bought a lot in the black community, and then bought a house over in the white community where they were tearing down uh, residential, uh, a residential area to build a shopping center. And so he bought the house. Uh, we couldn't live there. And he had it moved over to the black uh, neighborhood. And uh, I've seen what housing can do uh, to, to, to the psyche of, of anyone, particularly African-Americans. And that's one of the ways we, we, we are able to provide generational wealth. Right. Uh, if we own a home and we can transfer it down to our children and our children's children. And that's one of the things we haven't had in the past. And so uh, it's, it, it's where I want to concentrate my energy. And so what is it that you want to do with your committee and, and as chairman to try to undo some of the things that have been done uh, in this previous administration and our, and our uh, great 
brain surgeon and all the things that were uh, uh, taken away from uh, uh, many uh, African-Americans in terms of being able to obtain housing and affordable housing is that. What are some of the things that you want to do on that committee? And is there any legislation that you're looking to uh, introduce to try to uh, help uh, progress that, uh, that vision? Units since Ronald Reagan was president. Now, the Katrina uh, flooded out a, an entire uh, project in, in New Orleans. And uh, the policy at HUD since the end of the uh, Reagan administration is called one for one replacement. So, no new, no, no new public housing is built unless one, unless some one is destroyed. And we can only build one for one. We can only build one, price, one, one unit of housing or another unit of housing that was destroyed. That's the only way to do it. Since 1980s. And mm. so if you look at the 1980s uh, and realize that we have not uh, done anything to expand public housing, uh, you know that there are, pre uh, there are thousands and thousands of people who are standing in line, essentially, all over the country trying to get in. Now, public housing is supposed to be temporary housing about seven years, five to seven years, and that's what most people use it for. Uh, unfortunately, uh, there are people who have gone out and, and, and told a lot of the big lies. Uh, you know, well, people want to live in there for the rest of their life. Look, I grew up in public housing. I never did hear anybody say, man, I can't wait till I get a little old so I can go move into public housing. Like, wait, man, I, I mean, this is my goal in life. I mean, right. That is right. crazy. And so there are people who have it in their heads that that's what is wanted. Now, so what we've got to do is start that will provide people with an opportunity. I have three sisters. I have one as a PhD. I'm a trifling person in the family. I have a, a bachelor's degree from Prairie View, and then I have a a Master's of Divinity uh, from St. Paul School of Theology. Uh, and uh, But, you know, uh, I'm not the only person that, that came out of public housing. Uh, I mean, there are thousands all over the country. My mother started college at Midwestern University while we were in public housing. So uh, now the other part of it is affordable housing. Mm -hmm. Here's what we've got to do to, to create affordable housing. Uh, in the core of, of any city, it doesn't matter what city it is, affordable housing is black ones, white ones, green ones. If you're a developer, you don't do it, say, well, I'm getting ready to go and invest $25 million uh, so I can, you know, feel good about myself. Uh, they're trying to make money. Right. And so, the only way they're going to make money on affordable housing is a subsidy. So if you're going to rehab a, a house in the urban core uh, you, and that, that costs $125,000, uh, and then you come in and rehab it, it's going to cost you, let's say, $250,000 to rehab it or $300,000. Well, you're still not going to get but $125,000 for it, maybe $130,000 mm -hmm. uh, more because, uh, because that's what has happened in the urban core. So the fact that you can't make money in the urban core is one of the reasons developers don't build housing in the urban core. And uh, so in many communities, including Kansas City, Missouri, uh, where I live, or Washington, D.C., right. I have an apartment uh, not, not too far from the Capitol. Uh, when, I, when I moved into my uh, present location, 
16 years ago, there were uh, uh, black folk everywhere on Capitol Hill. I mean, anywhere you went. Right. So my wife came up. My wife was up there. We spent, uh, she came to spend a rare weekend with me. So we walked to the, uh, to the uh, market that morning and was looking for black people. Hey, that one, hit one. You know, uh, I mean, it's hard. To, you go to Capitol Hill, you're going to have to hunt black people down. You do. You do. <laughs> Uh, because they've come in and, and they have bought those old houses. Right, gentrified it. Uh, gentrification, and they re, they redo the housing, and now what used to cost $300,000 now costs $1.2 million. Exactly. So that's what I want to do. Affordable housing, uh, and, and uh, also try to get some uh, public new public housing units built, and uh, some what's, what's called tiny housing mm-hmm. uh, for... <laughs> Uh, for college students who are just getting out of college, but it gives them a taste of ownership. Uh, in Missouri, you build one of those houses for about fifteen thousand dollars, right? Uh, and it's a little community, so yeah. That, I think this is time to experiment because Marsha Fudge is very likely going to be confirmed as the chair, uh, as the uh, uh, I'm sorry, as secretary. the secretary of housing, right? Urban development. So with that, are you going to look to introduce uh, new policies and procedures to help? And giving uh, more minorities they're, they're not able to necessarily show any income or have jobs or things of that nature. What plans do you have to help them be able to qualify for these, uh, you know, to be able to get this affordability and these new homes under their current environment that we're living in? Well, one of the things we've done so far, uh, we got we got to continue to do it with with, with opposition. I might add. And that is, uh, we were just a, successful in getting uh, a bill approved that, uh, in part, provided uh, rental assistance. And the reason that's important to, the, to our conversation is that uh, if you don't provide uh, rental assistance, three things happen to the people who lived in those rental units, and all three of them are bad. Number one, uh, they, they're going to get kicked out of the uh, housing. Uh, if, if they can't pay uh, the landlord. Number two, uh, the, the credit goes bad. Uh, and number three, you can't get a home right. if you have no credit. Right. So we, committee, the overall committee, Maxine Waters, is very much interested in this. We've got to change, we think, the way the credit, credit uh, reporting agencies operate. So yeah. uh, because black people you know, have a whole different uh, philosophy on life. And if you, if you, if you, here, here's the way you can find out if a black person will pay their bills. Uh, light bills, gas bills, church. Uh, and, it, 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 and if you're paying those, they are, uh, they have good credit. They, that's, they, they're paying their tithes. <laughs> That's right. right. That's right. They 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 they're gonna pay. My grandmother would drive a hundred and thirty two miles to pay her gas bill and light bills. Now she's from the old school. She didn't trust the mail. Uh she didn't trust uh my dad her son. You know, it's like I've got to be the one to go walk in there and pay the money uh in the building. And so there are a lot of black people like that. They may not have uh, you know, uh, pristine credit, 
But in the things that matter uh, to them, uh, you know, and the things that, that can clearly show that they are uh, faithful to their debt is when, they, when they're paying the lights and gas and the telephone or the cell phone every month. Right. Uh, and, and so we have to come up with new ways of measuring African-Americans uh, because, we, frankly, we, we have a different culture and we're different than uh, people in, in the, the larger culture. You, you, speaking of that, um, it, it, the the agencies, I think the the collection agencies and even maybe the primary creditor, uh, they may report you as a charge off or something of that nature. But then, as they wait years and years down the road, then they will come back and touch your credit again and put it back on your credit. Maybe three or four years later, after the charge off and and most people don't know, especially people of color, that once that bank charges it off, they come to you guys, the federal government, to get that, that, that relief for that money. But then they sell it to a, a collection agency who then hounds you for the next three, four, five years. And then they're trying to get it. And then they put it back on your credit again after the, the primary creditor charged it off. What can you do about that? Well, the credit rating, uh, rating agencies uh, do report to our committee. And uh, just uh, a, a little factoid here. Uh, I was there, of course, when we had the, the, the uh, uh, 20, uh, 2008 economic collapse, uh, when we had to enter the Great Recession. Four weeks before the collapse, we, we were having a hearing with the credit rating agencies. Not to, We knew nothing about the collapse. Uh, and so we asked them, we said, Based on uh, your analysis of credit and so forth, uh, you're dealing with all of the banks, uh, is the U.S. economy uh, solid? And every one of them, there are three of them, said, oh, yeah, everything is fine. The economy is fine. Of course, they hadn't gotten out of the parking lot uh, before the, the collapse began. Mm. But uh, the, uh, the point is that they, they made a big error, and, and uh, we, we, we know they did, and we can uh, demonstrate it and show, it, show that that happened. Uh, you know, they are not perfect. And uh, we've had them in now to, to talk about this issue of trying to redesign a new way to measure credit. Uh, you know, we, they, they can't say for black people we're going to do this, but so it has to be across the board. Uh, but we also think that it is applicable across the board. Um, you know, and somebody's making a, a million dollars a year, uh, I think you can measure them a little, a little more strenuously uh, based on whether they are, they're paying their mortgage, uh, whether they are, you know, paying those three uh, car notes, right? Uh, you know, uh, but but with some of the the lower income people, they 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 can be just as faithful. They just pay pay, uh, pay it differently. So I I think this is a a good opportunity for us to change things, and we have to change things uh, if we're going to be able to. My my big thing is generational wealth. If, if we're going to be able to give, provide people with an opportunity for generational wealth, we've got to ch- change the credit rating system in the country. So let me ask you this, because I know you've been Star Wars, as I said in my opening, a Star Wars for voting rights and um, and uh, making sure that we can vote. What is it, and and will we be able to get the um, the voting rights bill through um, um, HR uh, one, I believe it was, uh, I won't get it. Uh, through? Um, and because of the, the issue with um, reconciliation and things of that nature, 
it can't be in the package or it can be in the package. What's going to happen with that? Is there a new bill going to be introduced in this Congress? How are we going to move forward? Because right now, looking at, I think it's uh, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, Florida, Texas, and Georgia, so many Americans were able to vote and participate in the process and came out in large numbers and helped Biden get over the top. Those state legislatures are still in Republican hands. And now with um, reapportionment and redistricting, they're now starting to introduce bills and legislation to restrict voting again. 26 of 26 uh, states now are introducing new legislation to restrict voting again. So as a stalwart, what are we going to do about that? How do we move past that? And how can we empower or encourage African-Americans to make sure everyone registers like Stacey Abrams was able to do in, every, in each, each of these states so that even when all that happens, we can still participate and make a change? Well, we, we, I think we are going to pass the, the John Lewis uh, Voting Rights Act. Uh, the, the, we can we can pass that tomorrow morning uh, in the, in the House. Uh, uh, it's, it's it's going to be a little more difficult in the Senate, uh, but I do think we on something like voting rights, we probably can get the 17 Republicans that we need and want that that. that would not require us to go and uh, uh, do reconciliation. Uh, which, for your audience, a reconciliation uh, is a an economic uh, political move in the Senate. They have a bunch of arcane rules, and uh, one of them uh, is that uh, if you bring a financial uh, piece of legislation forth, uh, you have to have two thirds of the of the Senate to vote approval. Which means that we, we, because we don't have fit, we only have 50, uh, and one with the uh, vice president, uh, we'd have to get Republican votes. Uh, there's a lot of ways you can get around it. You can try to connect some money, financial issues to the Voting Rights Act. Uh, you know, of being slick politically. Uh, I would much rather pass it because it's the right thing to do, and we. I would like to think at the time of this interview that, that uh, the majority of the people in the Senate are gonna, going to support it. Now, um, if we're able to get the Voting Rights Act approved, it means that pre-clearance uh, is, all, is now back on the table. And your, your viewers need to understand there's something about, uh, about pre-clearance. Uh, when the Voting Rights Act was passed in 1965, pre-clearance was a requirement. And that is that the Justice Department, uh, that uh, a local, election board cannot move any, um, it, they can't do anything, alter anything in, in an election unless uh, the Justice Department uh, clears what they're doing. It's called pre-clearance before right. the election. Now, it only it, it's only in the states that are voting rights states, but uh, this last election was done without uh, the Voting Rights uh, uh, Act in place. Think about what Stacey Abrams could have done in Georgia, if yes. uh, she had the, the power of the Voting Rights Act behind her, now she's already uh, should be should get the Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, they should break off the football on, at the Super Bowl and give her the ball, right? Uh, whatever else she wants. I mean, I think anything she, she wants, she should get. <laughs> right, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I don't want to send a to sing at her birthday party. Something. Uh, but you know. That is a valuable tool 
uh, to have right now because I think Georgia has taught Mississippi and uh, South Carolina and Florida and Alabama, Louisiana, uh, that, that, hey, you know, we can do this. You guys can do right. it. Uh, and so I think that if we can get the Voting Rights Act, it will stop some of the um, legislatures who are trying to this – is, this, is, this is all so embarrassing to, for, for our country that we have men and women who get up every day and go to uh, legislatures to try to figure out how to stop black people from voting. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is just sick. And, uh, and, and, it, and if you don't on mind, Sunday. sir, if I can throw in under the name of Christianity. Oh, yeah. No, they go okay. to church on Sunday. Okay. Oh, <laughs> the Lord, the Lord is good. You know, okay. And then go out and, and uh, it's just um, it's unbelievable. Uh, I don't understand that theology. It's unreal. It's unreal. And, and before I let you go, I, I know time. I have to ask you about uh, uh, the impeachment and, and what you think. Can you help us understand? Because I think a lot of my viewers and listeners they don't see how impeaching Donald Trump now at this point um, will benefit or have an impact on black America. Can you uh, try to help them understand uh, that this topic regarding the focus on black America and explain why impeaching Donald Trump is vital to our progress, especially given what had occurred for those last four years? My cousin, my junior, uh, hopefully none of your viewers know Herman Jr. He's my cousin. Uh, he's been going to prison since uh, since he's about 17. I love Herman Jr. He's you know, my cousin. I love him all his life. Uh, if uh, if Herman Jr. Uh, is in a, a, a convenience store and he's stealing stuff, he's stealing all kind of stuff, and then he leaves the store, and then somebody runs up and said to to, to the police and the Prosecutors, you can't prosecute him. He left the store. He's no longer in the store. I know, but he stole stuff. He, he met, I know, but he's not he's gone. He's not in the store anymore. You can, if we start to press, you can do whatever wrong you want. Uh, and if you can just last until you can get out, no, no, there's no consequences. No consequences. Uh, so we've got to do it because we've got to send the message. And young African-Americans, who are in jail right now uh, for doing a lot less than what the president uh, has done, has probably heard all of their lives that justice is blind in the United States, uh, that uh, we have even-handed justice, and so everybody's going to be treated the same. That, of course, is not true, but this would be the biggest uh, demonstration of its uh, falsity uh, if Donald Trump is not able to do anything. Uh, uh, is, is uh, I'm sorry, is able to, to, to leave the office and get away with all of the other things he's, he's been uh, of doing. And so we've got to send a message to, to these young black uh, kids uh, that the justice is, is, is blind. Now, let me, I need to say very quickly uh, that uh, the president of the United States uh, is still, even today, trying to claim that he won Georgia. Uh, and people need to understand uh, that in the, in the states that he claims he won, which would be Georgia, mm-hmm. uh, Pennsylvania, and, and uh, Michigan, the areas that he has, uh, that he's questioning are the areas where black people live. 
I mean, those the black vote is what he's really saying. Right. Uh, I mean, you know, he's, uh, you know, he, he won't say that, but his his, uh, his supporters understand, you know, the the uh, the silent silent uh, nature of what he's doing, and African Americans need to be concerned about this. Uh, uh, you know, double standard of, of justice. Let me let me tell you this: if Barack Obama had 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 uh, put Chelsea I and mean, his daughter, two daughters on the payroll, um, and uh, if they had been, you know, having breakdancing parties, I don't think they're breakdancing anymore, but I don't know what the new stuff is. But they, if they were having parties in the White House, mm-hmm. you know, um, I, Get, getting patents and trademarks. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they'd, they'd be in jail. I mean, they'd be deep into jail. Yes. And so, uh, so what? You know, when when uh, when I when it came time for me to put my name on that uh, uh, impeachment, I put it on there readily and eagerly because I understand what has happened. I remember, I lived in projects. I know what can happen to people uh, who are black, uh, and I know, and they can get beaten up and nothing done about it, and everything uh, is cool uh, when it happens when it's done by the police. So we've got to demonstrate for these young people who don't believe that anymore. We're saying, well, uh, We've seen what happened to Michael Brown, with uh, right. Trayvon Martin. Right. You know, they call the road. Right. So we've got to be able to say, no, we stood up, uh, and, and, and here's the man who broke the law, and we would not let him go back. We are not going to turn around on him or make it easy. Now, he may not get impeached by the Senate, but it won't be because uh, the, the African Americans and the Latinos in Congress uh, didn't do their job. That's it. And finally, let me ask you this, as I always do. I, I always ask my guests. What's at stake for Black America? What's at stake for us if we don't roll back um, the state legislators who are trying to stop our voting rights, if we don't roll back the Trump-McConnell policies that have hampered us um, and could hamper us in the future? What's at stake for us uh, as, as Black America? Our very future is at, is at stake. Uh, Mitch McConnell doesn't want to let any legislation get through. We've, we're trying to get legislation through that will help the American public. Uh, including, including African Americans. Uh, for example, uh, you know we we we're struggling right now trying to make sure that we get more money to HBCUs like uh, Purdue, the school from which I uh, uh, graduated. We're also uh, uh, right now trying to figure out ways in which we can get the uh, the, the 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 money uh, put in place so that we can do these massive affordable housing programs. Uh, right now. Uh, if, you, if the people who are listening to you, looking at your broadcast tonight, look at the paper tomorrow, they're going to read that what what uh, Senator McConnell wants to do is take out of the stimulus the stimulus uh, proposal uh, money to cities and uh, and states, but mainly to cities mm-hmm. and counties. Well, why? Because that is where you find heavy, the the black populations heavily located. Right. Uh, and so. They're trying to do damage to, to cities. Now the message is always subliminal, uh, but uh, it, 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 you know we've been doing this a long time as black people, so we can see it. They got to come up with some new strategies because we can see it so right. clearly. Uh, and and so w- w- what we're trying to do uh, in Congress is hold people accountable, while at the same time making progress for uh, African Americans uh, uh, economically, and from my perspective, generational wealth. Bobby Scott, an African-American from the state of Virginia, chairs the Education Committee. 
Uh, and uh, Bobby has a very, very ambitious agenda. Uh, I mean, he would be someone, if you at some point uh, want to get him on the show, I think you would, your, your, your viewers would really benefit by that. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, so, I mean, we got people in key positions uh, on these committees. The first time we've ever had this many people in, in uh, chairmanships. Uh, and, and so for, for the first time, we, we're in a position to make things happen, at least in the House, and maybe, just maybe, uh, things can change in the Senate. I, I hope so, sir. I really do. And, and given the many committees that now African-Americans are chairing and we um, uh, are out there, I hope we can make great strides of policy because the, the, the reality is, is we may only have two years. The slim yes. majority that we have in the House and with reapportionment and redistricting, I, and the Supreme Court saying that you can do it by race and political party and everything else, uh, it's going to be very difficult for Democrats to continue to hold on if we don't get everyone out there registered to vote and to the polls. Right now, because because the the, the lines uh, will be drawn probably uh, uh, by summer and into the fall, creating uh, new districts. And I can tell you, uh, the the redistricting is going to uh, be done in a way to eliminate seats that are being held by African Americans. And uh, when that happens, uh, we start falling back. We start falling back. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, most of the voters don't recognize or understand that. And, uh, and, uh, but I thank you. I thank you for being the star that you are. I thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to join us tonight and educating us and empowering us to understand exactly what's at stake for us socially, economically, and politically. Thank you so much, sir. Good to be with you. Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing, too. I appreciate it. And I hope to call you back again soon. All right. Glad to do it. All right. Thank you. And, and, and that's what we have. Um, I, I thank Congressman uh, uh, Cleaver for, for joining us tonight, but um, we have to recognize and understand what's at stake for us, what's at stake for our families and our community, because it is vital that we recognize what's happening. And it's also vital that we recognize that this impeachment process is going through and how now the GOP wants to say, oh, why are we doing this? Let's all come together. Let's unite. Isn't that what Biden said? Let's unite. Oh, my God. No, we can't impeach Donald Trump now. What good does it do? Quite frankly, in some pieces, I wouldn't want that if did not vote to impeach, put them on trial during their reelection. Put them on trial for sub. Um, for adhering to, for supporting, and for turning a blind eye to insurrectionists in the U.S. Capitol, in the United States. Put it and turn a blind eye to five people being killed and another one committing suicide. Put a, 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 um, a, 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 a what's it called, a, um, a bullseye on their head. The same way that they used to put bullseyes on, on uh, Obama and Democratic um, uh, legislators, we're going to put a bullseye on their head and, 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 and take them out for not upholding to, um, to uh, 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 the Constitution. Because the Constitution says in the 14th Amendment, if you subvert and uh, uh, adhere to any type of insurrection, in Congress, you should be expelled. You've committed a crime. 
So I'm hoping that Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, um, and I hope he grows a backbone just like the rest of the Democratic Party grows a backbone, to kick Josh. Oh, I forgot to ask him about Josh Hawley. Darn it. That's what I was going to ask him about. See, he, he, he went on so much and so good, I, I forgot about all the questions I had. But we got to get rid of Josh Hawley, and we got to get rid of uh, – t- t- uh, what's his name? Ted Cruz. And the other – 10 others, I think it's uh, 13 all in, uh, in all. We got to get rid of 13 of those senators, get their asses out of Congress, out of the Senate, because they supported insurrection. There was no um, uh, 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 um, steal of, of anything going on. There was no steal of the election. I, I won by a landslide. No, ass, you didn't win by a landslide. You got your landslide ass whooped. That's what happened. But 126 members of Congress? That's half of the Republican Party. They all need to be expelled. Every last one of them need to be expelled. And and until that happens, I don't think there's going to be credibility around what is going on in Congress. And Democrats are going to lose credibility. They're also going to have an issue come 2022. I think it's six or seven seat majority right now. And those districts that Democrats won in 2018, a lot of them were Republican districts that, you know, Republicans and independents were upset about and and decided that, hey, they wanted to get rid of that person who was in office, but they only support the Democrat for one term. A lot of Democrats lost. And a lot of that happened because of some of the defunding police rhetoric and all the things that allow for bumper stickers, that allow for quick messaging, that allows people who are weary and leery to say, you know what, I'm going to not support that guy who's on the Democratic side, even though I don't like this Republican, I'm not going to support him because I don't want to defund the police or I don't want to uh, stop law enforcement. Not understanding that the message was really reallocate the resources, which is what they should have said. They should have said, hey, we need to reallocate resources for mental health, for community uh, outreach, for other issues instead of defunding the police. I thought it was a stupid idea myself, right? As a, as a former cop, my, my I mean, you know, law enforcement, you don't say you're going to defund the police or you're going to get rid of ICE things like that, because that tells people that there's going to be mayhem in the street, that people are going to be running rampant, and therefore crimes aren't going to be solved. And even the most intelligent or most secure person who can read between the lines still says, government, I don't know. I may not do that. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to stick, you know, the old saying, you know, stick with the evil you know, rather than the evil you don't know, because if they have already been able to label you as evil and put you out there because you said you want to defund the police and you're not in a safe democratic district, you're going to lose. You're going to lose. Unlike Republicans, as we see now in Congress, all the Republicans that are saying and doing what they want to say and do are in safe districts. They're in safe Republican-controlled districts, and because they have Republican state legislatures, they're not even worried about being uh, defeated in a primary or a general election because there's nobody who's going to be able to run against them because they're going to draw the lines as safe and solid as possible. So you're not going to have any issues. You're not going to have any problems in there. And that's the problem. 
That is the problem. And that's why I was asking the congressman, what is it that we can do? Because if you, we don't pass the John Lewis uh, voting right act, if that's not passed, and if it does not put back in place uh, Title Five, Title Seven of the Voting Rights Act, um, you can guarantee that they're just going to wipe out every ability for African-Americans to be able to vote. Right now, I think it's the state of Pennsylvania. It could be Georgia. Their state legislature, Republicans, are now going to require two forms of ID for you to vote absentee. Two forms of ID. Now, is that going to be driver's license and social security card, driver's license and passport, I mean, credit card? What, what is it going to mean now that you have to have two forms of ID? Now, granted, how many of you can put your hand on your social security card right now? How many of you? How many of you can put your hand on a second form of ID? Now, is it going to be required as a picture ID? So that means you have to have a passport because there's no picture on your Social Security card. There's no picture on a credit card. Now, think about that. If, if you're going to have to put your credit card out there now, your credit card number, because, you know, some places they ask for a picture ID and then another form, a credit card serves as a form. But who's going to put their credit card information out there in public with the numbers and expiration date and all that out there. Who's going to do that? Nobody, especially not black. They're not going to do that. So what other form are they going to ask for? If they're now going to require you get a passport, which has a picture on it, or are they going to ask for a birth certificate? Which how many people say over 60 or 50 know where it is? How many young people, 18 to 24, 26, know where their birth certificate is? Now they're going to have to go and pay for a birth certificate or <clears throat> pay for a passport to now show two forms of ID, two forms. The shenanigans that are happening are just absolutely crazy. <clears throat> and the result of it is going to be that less and less African-Americans are going to be able to vote unless we do something about it, and unless we're able to put together the operation of being empowered without having to be, um, um, uh, excuse me, engaged without having to be empowered to do so. In other words, there sh I should not have to come to you as a voter, come into your community as a voter, and motivate you to vote. I shouldn't have to do that. I should be as a candidate, come to you, tell you what my platform is, tell you what my issues I'm going to fight for are, and you get your butt up and you go and vote, period. I shouldn't have to make you feel good about it. I shouldn't have to make you get excited about it. I shouldn't even have to have you determine whether or not I'm the lesser of two evils. You need to start understanding what the hell your best interest is. And that's what you need to vote on. Because I'm sick and tired of this whole idea Oh well, uh, uh, I wasn't motivated to vote for them because they didn't excite me. We don't give a damn about your excitement. We care about what the hell is going on in this country, in this nation, to deal with it. And my next guest is going to help us understand that more than ever. He is Representative Michael Pearson. Excuse me, Michael Persons. I knew I was going to do that. I said to myself, don't call him Pearson or Parson, but it's Michael Persons. He's representative of St. Louis County, 
and he hails from Ferguson, Missouri. He uh, represents the, the area of Ferguson. And I, I reached out to him and I wanted to talk to him because I wanted to get the idea, the understanding of where Ferguson is now after Michael Brown, after a new mayor, after a new district attorney. Where is Ferguson now and how is St. Louis and Missouri moving forward and what are they doing? He um, represents uh, Florissant, I hope I pronounced that right, Ferguson, Jennings, Cleveland Park, Dalewood, Country Club Hills, and Norwood, District uh, 74. He was recently elected in, in November of uh, 2019, and he is the diversity and inclusion facilitator for workshops at uh, Ameren, uh, where he works to help give employees a six month, of six months to two years the employment of social skills that they need to navigate the ever-changing demographics to the workforce. He is uh, the ambassador and diversity inclusion ambassador for the Dorset campus of, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Amerian, uh, Amerin, Amerin, I think it is, uh, where he discusses, uh, has host discussions with employees and different store, department stores on diversity issues. Uh, please help me welcome Michael uh, Persons to the show. And I talked to this brother earlier today and I told him he is going to be a regular on my show because we were talking about Emmanuel Cleaver's cousin, who, uh, uh, Eldridge Cleaver, who was uh, a leader in the Black Panther movement. And we were talking about just the economic and the, the political uh, inclusion that we have to understand for African-Americans and what we need to do. So, so welcome to the show, uh, Representative Person. Uh, I appreciate you uh, joining us tonight and uh, finding time to, to educate us, empower us, and help us understand exactly what's at stake for us. Welcome to the show. Can you hear me, well, sir? Well, thank you so much. Okay. And at least, yes, sir, I can, I can hear you. Can you hear Yes, yes, I can hear you. Great, great, great. And and trust me, the the appreciation is at least half mine. <laughs> well, I and, appreciate uh, that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for inviting me to um to uh your show. And uh one one thing I've often said about Ferguson, yes, uh we need change and yes, change is coming ever so slowly, but change ha does not just have the guy that uh, carries a pistol, but the person that carries the pen also. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, right, right. It's it's great that uh, we have been able to elect some uh, African Americans to both uh, the, uh, the the council, and of course, one of the former council people is now the uh, county prosecutor. And it's uh, interesting how uh, that happened because uh, when he first was considering running uh, for an office, uh, he was a uh, a teacher who taught criminal justice um, at our uh, local community college, uh, Florida Valley Community College, uh, and uh, they uh, uh, basically uh, put him under uh, my wing. I didn't think he was serious. Um, we were supposed to have a meeting. I uh, believe it was on a Wednesday, no call, no show. I said, oh, well, I guess this guy is serious. Uh, to make a long story short, uh, he uh, did, of course, become council person for Ferguson and now, again, a county prosecutor. So uh, I guess to be fair to say, that was serious. Sounds and, like uh, it. It's, it's, a, 
it's a beautiful thing. And uh, I just heard you earlier speaking about uh, people need to get serious about uh, exercising their power, which is in the uh, uh, voting booth. And I spent a lot of time talking to folks. I said, look, you've been tear gas and threw bottles at you. They they have uh, shot you with uh, with water hoses for for miles. You you walk miles up Chambers, miles up up West Florissant, but you won't walk 50 feet to go cast your vote. Mm-hmm. I said you you need to understand why you are marching. The purpose of marching is to rally your brothers and sisters to march to the polls because that's where your real power is. But yet we have roughly something like a, a 10% participation in, uh, in in voting in Ferguson. Uh, fortunately, we make up uh, uh, about two-thirds to three-quarters of the population. So in spite of the poor we have been able to elect some folks into uh, offices. Right now, I'm going back and forth with uh, 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 administration. Uh, they don't like the idea that there's a that, that there's a brother that sits on a, a state in Ferguson. They don't think I sh- I should be there. They don't think no brother should own it and and a state. Well, by uh, by the uh, grace of God, uh, I do, and uh, I have uh, inspectors that uh, actually come on my property un- unannounced, looking for something to cite me for. Mm. And yeah, fortunately, we do have a black mayor now. She's new. She's uh, been in politics about five years, so we can't expect her to be able to affect change uh, right off, but uh, give some time. Hopefully things will change in Ferguson. We got to get off of that 10%. We, there, there is no reason why we can't have the kind of turnout that um, Abrams has been able to cultivate there in, in Georgia. Uh, it's almost embarrassing to be in a red state of uh, Missouri that we still have people that vote for folks that do not represent their interests. But that being said, we can't always point the finger at uh, others. We should need we need to point the finger on, at ourselves. What are we doing to uh, to make an effect change here in Ferguson? That's what we need to depend on. Whether folks are going to fact fact check and do what they need to do to see that voting Republican is voting against your own interests. And we have politicians still in Missouri who uh, who actually run uh, on uh, dog whistle policies. There's a one uh, person who is now uh, a, a state senator. When he was running for uh, governor, he said, we're going to get rid of welfare. Said, yeah, that's right, get rid of welfare. Well, they didn't understand. I mean, and I think immediately he took something like about uh, what uh, it was either ten to thirty percent of actual revenue Mm-mm. going to uh, uh, going to welfare agencies. But see, 
what they didn't understand, look, your mother uses Medicare and and, and Medicaid. Uh, social Social Security is something that you pay for, and it's in your best interest to keep it and stop the federal government from borrowing from what does not even not belong to them. So, so there is a long line of education, not only by them, but by us. And I don't think I have to specify the, the, the us and them. We, we both understand what our interests are. Got to bring the, the rest of the folks along and, and get the heck off the sofa. That, that's that's true. Represent, raise, do me a favor, raise your camera up so our audience can see you. Um, okay, maybe, maybe if I just push it there you go. back a there little you bit. Go. Yeah, Perfect. there we go. Yeah, yeah, that's a little bit better. Thank okay. you, thank you. Um, that 10%, that, that's the thing that's, that's really vexing me right now. Why is the turnout so low given the impact that Ferguson has gone under and the change that can be made if they just turn out and vote. I'm, I'm sorry, you sound a little digitally. You say the changes that can be made that what? I'm sorry. When they turn out and vote. When they turn out and vote. Well, just to have that 10% actually <laughs> That's to say, is an improvement. That means that that know. we have uh, <laughs> woken someone up, you know. I mean, but but uh, still, it should be to a point now where all of our uh, elected offices should be representative of the constituents. If you're two thirds, three quarters of the, the population, why can't you have two thirds, uh, two thirds, three quarters of the representation? You can simply by by showing up because what folks need to understand, marching is good. It brings a, a awareness to the a nation and the world that there are problems exist and and you're not going to take it anymore. But one thing you have to understand, marching is good. We get a lot of media coverage, but that's what it is. Media that that is show business. The real business is taking your butt into that voting place and casting your vote. That's the real business right there. And if we could just convince folks of that, we've accomplished uh, a whole lot. Now, unfortunately, uh, we as baby boomers and X generations, we know that the Democratic Party represents the working class. But we have failed to deliver the word to uh, uh, the old uh, voting constituency as to who represents what. Mm -hmm. Now, unfortunately, even though we have, uh, this this has been a a blue state for a long time, but uh, we rested on our laurels and we have uh, GOP candidates going into rural areas and talking to people, and folks will vote for them. And they don't even know what they represent. They don't know what their platform is. They know nothing about whether or not their policies 
our platform is going to hurt them or not. Mm-hmm. But they're going to vote for them. Why? Because they they showed, showed up. up. Right. I, I had a, a GOP friend told me he went to a trailer park. The guy looked him up and down. He said, nobody ever comes here. But he said, you see all those other trailers? He said, those are all my family, and we all going to vote for you, too. Why? Because he showed because up. Because they showed up. Mm-hmm. You know, we we can't take for, for granted, or should I say the Democratic Party can't take us or people for granted and expect them to uh, vote for them. And there are many examples uh, that show you why you can't take uh, uh, support for granted. Uh, once upon a time, you you've heard of the insurance company Mutual of Omaha. Mm-hmm. Well, well, uh, a few years ago, a few decades ago, some smart guy decided that we're no longer going to have agents. We're going to go all mail order. They never did get uh, their uh, their customer base back. All from all from a short sighted stupid mistake thinking that uh, you were going to keep your your customer base even though you're not going to interact with them and uh from examples like that should say enough about how how you need to engage uh, uh folks that that you serve and there's all kind of examples like that you can look at uh, uh so well let me ask you IBM. this Representative. let me ask you this who and I guess maybe the state party, um, have they put out an education plan to educate and empower their voters to understand policy and procedure, the basic tenets of, of you know, campaign elections and the impact of those elections on their community? Oh, my, my goodness. I, I'm sorry. You, you were sounding very digital digital it was hard to understand but it sounded like uh, you were saying uh how uh to engage the people how to educate is, is that the, the basis of your question pretty much is the party the democratic party uh-huh. educating its constituents well the the best means of educating your a constituents is door by door, door by door. That is the that is the most important contact that you can have with your people. Now, of course, that's been somewhat compromised by this COVID thing. But uh, uh, beyond COVID, there is no uh, more muscle in educating folks than by knocking on their door. Now, you can send them out mail. You can do a radio, you can do rallies and town hall meetings, but the best thing to do is to knock on those doors. Now, that's the most tedious and arduous process, but that is the best way to get to uh, the people. We have a lot of ground to uh, make up uh, simply because the Democratic Party has been more or less sitting on their laurels. I mean, look, look we had 40 years of Rush Limbo getting on the air, spewing out vile stuff, most of it lies. Nobody 
got on the uh, radio, or, or should I say, call it liberal radio, or it just wasn't enough, refuting the things that these folks said. Now, now think about it, 40 years, 40 years of, of been lied to about uh, what the problem is and who to point the, a finger at. 40 years. Now, if you told me something for 40 years, I'd be inclined to believe it, particularly if, if nobody's refuting what, what you are saying. And then folks are saying things like, well, I don't understand what what happened. Well, you you have to engage your folks. Play there there is no substitute for engaging uh, uh people. Now you know we have these uh mass shootings, right? Right at these schools. Right. And people got hit. Well I don't understand what happened. Well 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 think about it. You have undereducated your folks for 40 years, you have lied to them, tell them that they get an education, you get a certain tied job, you make great money, you know, and, and, and you retire. But once upon a time, that was true. Now you got folks going to school and the ones that are doing 15 bucks an hour living in their mother's basement. Now you just made a terrorist. You just made a terrorist. So if if it, if you want to know the recipe for making a terrorist, that's it. Under uh, uh, you know underserve your community, lie to them, and then put them in, in their mother's basement. See what happens, and that's what happens. If you see most of the folks that that uh, have those shootings are white males between the age of, of twenty. Church at 30. Mm-hmm. Now, guess what? They've been lied to. They thought they were going to lose this, that, and what have you, and life was going to be beautiful. Well, none of that happened. And and now, instead of making 30 bucks an hour, you're making 15 bucks an hour, paying down a load of debt, and maybe you'll get it all paid off by the time you uh, retire. But that pie in the sky has disappeared. And then they did about us. Why are we shooting up places? Well, because we have been underserved and underemployed for hundreds of years. So it's not nothing new to us. You know, 40 for them, 100 for, for us. You know, right. one thing uh, 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 Freeman Bosley Sr. used to say, who was the father of the first black mayor of St. Louis, he, he said, you can't commit suicide by jumping out of a basement window. So... So exactly, we have to turn that that ship around. You know, once you know, once upon a time, you could feed a family on a high school education. Mm-hmm. Why? Because high schools had carpentry. Right. Union for your family. Those trades, but uh, when you take those things out of school. Unions are crying. Unions are crying for skilled, uh, uh, skilled uh, uh, labor people. Right, right now the opportunities are there, mm-hmm. but because we're underserving our com- community, mm-hmm. undereducating our com- mm-hmm. community, now it's to the point where you actually have uh, corporations now 
doing the inv- investments uh, so far as uh, getting folks into uh, skilled aids and internships. Uh, you know, and it's not that they care about you personally, and, and I'm not going to get into that whether they do or whether they don't. I'm sure some do and some don't. Right. But at the end of the day, if if you got some jobs sweeping, you you go out and search for some floor sweeping. Right. And uh, so, so let me ask you this, Congressman. A lot of our problems that we have is, is of course, with being not only being undisturbed by. Uh, I'm sorry. Let me ask you this. Oh, I, I've lost you. What's at stake for us? The thing that's at stake for us is that we are going to leave. This planet, I'm leaving something for our kids and grandkids to inherit because now the only thing that they are inheriting is is hands and and, and jail time. And unfortunately, we when you take the dream away from somebody, when you take the hope away from somebody and you leave them in a hopeless situation and leave them with uh, economic choices that they have have to make, you know. I don't think any, any child ever picked up uh, picked up a gun to uh, rob a store if they were able to go to a job. Now we talk about taking the the guns from kids. Okay, if you do that. If you take the gun out of their hand, what are you putting in it? A multimeter, a calculator in it? Uh, what are you replacing the gun with? Just to say, well, we need to uh, take the guns, have to have a plan. You can't, you know, uh, stop the violence, stop the robbing and so forth and so on and not replace it with something. And the, the greater good understand that. Why? Because their mother goes to the grocery store, too. But what what do you want a kid to do? Do mm-hmm. do you want him uh, begging your mama for a dollar to Would you like him to be in a bank, run your mom's credit so you can give her a loan? What do you want a kid to do? Do you want selling on the street, or do you want to set it up so he can go to a pharmaceutical college so he can be writing you a prescription? Now, yes, there's a lot of space between a pharmacist and a drug dealer, but we need something filling in the middle. There's got to be something in the middle, and you cannot save every kid, but you can't chances of success. His, his chances of following a, a calling for a gift he may have, if you just change the circumstances by which he can operate. Now, you cannot, if you look at the population of them, and I think the majority are functionally illiterate, can't write a sentence, don't know their time. How can you expect to have a full enriched society if you don't put what needs to be there to make that happen? 
You're right. not going to fall out of the sky. Yeah. So, that being said, we have to have policies in place right. who can make those things happen. Again, not save everybody, but increase chances of a kid having a sexual life than able to follow a policy. So, so that's the situation we are in. And, and, and again, it's a big shift to turn around and think that the powers that be didn't know what they were doing. I mean, yeah, I understand they uh, know what capabilities are because even in a condition of oppression, we are still the most creative inventor innovative folks on the planet. Because any time we're given an opportunity to excel, we do. And that's in any field you care to name. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely so, right. So uh, we, we know that the power is there. We, we got to convince the kids that no, it's not your fault that you're in this economic So so uh, I feel that that's my call. I understand that they're getting a raw deal so far as education. And our system here uh, has been called one of the strangest educational systems in, in the country. Uh, our Department of Elementary and Secondary Education is clearly designed to destroy itself. They, which don't have, have the same and public schools have, and don't show any significant improvement on education from public schools, whereby there aren't any qualifying issues for you to start a school. It is like if somebody is fixing your electricity in your house, and you tell them to stop, and, and you see somebody walking down to hey, uh, you, you you busy? I want you to come in here and fix Thank you for listening to Black Politics Today on I4 What's at Stake in